Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Who's grateful to be with the family of God in the presence of God? You can't get away. He'll chase you down. You can try, but he will find you. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for you, for your spirit who is hovering over us right now, just like he did in that very moment of creation. He still hovers over us and speaks to us and is with us, surrounding us. For your son, Jesus, who became one of us to redeem us and restore us, to take our punishment. We're so grateful. So, Father, as your word is proclaimed this morning, I pray for soft hearts, for cultivated hearts, that this seed would go in deep and bear much fruit that a literal garden would spring up because of the words of you, the Father that he's planting today. So we receive your spirit, we receive your voice with open arms. We know that there's no place that we can go. Show us that again today. You're with us. So blessed are these ears because they can hear. Blessed are these eyes because they can see, Father. Reveal yourself to us this morning so that every single heart in this place is changed and different from when they walked in. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. We're going to take a journey this morning from Genesis to Revelation, so pray for me that you're not here by dinner time still. It's going to be good. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. See, I'm not joking. I'm starting the beginning. (laughs) We're going to end up in Revelation 22. And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving and hovering over the waters, and then God spoke, and he said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke the most powerful force in the universe, his voice. His word. He spoke again and sky and water appeared. He spoke again and land and sea. He spoke again plants and trees that had seeds in them to reproduce after their kind. He spoke again sun, moon, stars, planets, lights to mark the seasons and times, days and years. He spoke again fish and birds and he told them be fruitful and multiply after their kind, seed in them as well. He spoke again, wild animals, livestock, small animals, each able to reproduce, you catch in a theme, uh, the offspring of their same kind. He spoke then to himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had a huddle, and he said, let us make man in our image. Incredible. According to our likeness, And let them have complete authority and dominion 
over the entire earth. But this time he didn't speak us into existence. This is so, so important for you to understand as your identity. You are different than a giraffe. You are way different than a monkey or a tree or all the beautiful things God made. You have something unique and special about you. He didn't speak in order to create you. Instead, he bent down in the dirt and he molded you and fashioned you and formed you. And then he did something incredible. He breathed life into your lungs. He didn't speak to create you. He actually put his voice inside of you. So that, watch this, what did he tell us? Be fruitful and multiply. What does he want to multiply out of your life? His voice. The most powerful force in the universe should be coming out of you. See, creation didn't just stop on that day. He's recreating. He he's never stops creating. He's always moving. And now the ones that bear his image can now project and speak his voice when we choose to. Just like Peter, one moment he told him, get behind me, Satan, when Peter said something. And then the next moment, he says, yeah, you know what you're talking about. That was the Lord speaking through you, Peter. But we have to steward. This is the most important thing that we steward in our life is the voice of the Lord. We look just like him. We carry his breath, his voice within us. That's why it's extremely important, the words that you release out of your mouth. They can be either words of death or of life, of cursing or of blessing. The breath that comes out of your lips is so important. The Bible says this is why life and death are in the power of the tongue. Because his voice, his word is the most powerful force in the universe. And you and I are responsible for stewarding that. We are charged with releasing his voice. I think one of the most tragic things that we've done is stayed inside the tomb, so to speak, not stepped into resurrection life. We've kept silent instead of releasing the voice of the Lord. And I'm telling you, those days are over. You have to choose what voice you're going to release. Genesis 2.15, and then the Lord God took the man and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to do two things, to cultivate it and to keep it, or some translations say tend it. Cultivate it is, is uh, the Hebrew abad. It means to work, to till, to plow, to cultivate. Keep it is the word shamar. It means to watch, to preserve, to take note, to diligently keep something, to be a gatekeeper. And this, these are the tensions that you and I still live in. To both multiply and cultivate his presence on the earth and then protect his presence from something else, distracting it. Because there is an enemy who comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're not going to have any of it. And that's where he placed us in the garden, and then the very next thing we do is we listen to the wrong voice. The very next thing we did was to disobey the one command that he'd given us to not do, which is eat from, you can eat from any of the trees, just don't eat from that one. And what did we do? We messed up. We listened to the wrong voice. 
listen to that serpent, that devil, that, that enemy, that manipulator. He's crafty. He will always question the voice of God. Did God really say? That's how you know that the, the devil is speaking. He's questioning truth. He's questioning, did he really say? Yeah, he did. He did, devil. He did say that. And we're done being manipulated and, and having truth twisted. That's what he tried to do with Jesus. He took, he took scripture and twisted it against Jesus. But Jesus didn't fall for it, praise God. And Adam and Eve fell for the lie of the enemy. And just like you and I have fallen for the lies of the enemy, haven't we? There's not one of us in here that hasn't um, fallen for the lies. And immediately when Adam and Eve sinned, they felt shame and guilt like we've all felt in this room. And all of a sudden they realized that they were naked. And the Bible says that they fastened fig leaves together and made coverings. Now, I was talking with Heather about this this morning. I don't think that they were very good at this. I don't think they had a sewing kit. I think these were more like pasties that they just kind of <laughs> stuck on each other. You know how I know that? Because the very next thing God does is he becomes the first hunter and he kills some animals to make clothes for them. Like, guys, you, you, I can't look at that. <laughs> we're we're going to have to do something else here. Uh, and they tried to hide from God. Their shame and their guilt caused them to hide from God. But just like we just sung, you, there's nowhere we can go away from his presence. It's never a good move to try to hide from an all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent God. But we might laugh at that, but we've all tried that. In fact, pretty much I guarantee you every one of us in this room is hiding from him in some area this morning. But the great thing about God, the great thing about the Father is he, he keeps coming back to us. He doesn't let us sit in our shame and our sin and our guilt. and He won't force you to come to him, but he's always there. In Genesis 3, it says this, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Because you should be right here with me, walking with me, taking steps with me. Where are you, Chris? Where are you, Kip? Where are you, Sarah? Where are you, Isaac? He's saying the same thing to us right now. There are areas of your life and my life that we're keeping hidden from him. He knows all about them. He knows everything. And he's calling to you. He won't force you, but he's waiting for a response. See, that's the beautiful thing about love is love doesn't force itself upon somebody. The beautiful thing about love is that you have a choice. You have a choice to respond to the Father. The gospel and grace are just that. It's, it's a choice, but it's there and it's available 
and it never runs out. And God, in his emotions that he has, he is waiting, he is heartbroken, he is desperate for you and I, whether it's the first time you've met him or the 10,000th time you've met him. He's desperate for more intimacy with him, to walk with him in the garden. They heard a sound. I believe that sound is still here today. The sound of the Lord walking. See, he's a God that moves. He doesn't stand still. And he wants us to move and walk alongside of him. That's who he created you to be. Someone who walks alongside of him. Someone that stays in his presence. That's why at Church 214, the measure of our success is not how many people are in attendance. It's not how awesome our lights are or the building is or uh, how much money's in the bank account. No, the only measure of our success is the presence of God and the freedom that he brings. That is the only measure of our success. And so because of our sin, he had to remove us from that perfect place in Eden and to take us out of there temporarily. But here's the thing. I don't believe he ever took us out of the garden. See, the garden is a place of his presence. He's never stopped asking us to stop walking in his presence. This is so cool. I didn't see this until a couple days ago. Do you realize that Eve didn't have a name until after they sinned? She was just called woman. And before God had created her, if we back up just a little bit, he had Adam name all the animals, if you remember. Because he said, um, I've given you dominion and authority over the earth. So you're over, you're stewarding all of this for me on my behalf. And so he brought the animals out, and Adam was responsible. He's like, yep, hippopotamus, <laughs> zebra, uh, cobra. He named all the animals. It was his responsibility as stewarding the voice of God within him to speak out and take authority and dominion on the earth. So cool. Polar bear. Uh, chimpanzee. I mean, I, I would, I will, hopefully we can watch like a replay of that in heaven. I, I don't know. I think it had to be so cool. It probably took days, right? But then that was done and, and they, God realized that there's still something missing. And so he caused the deep sleep to fall over Adam, and he took a rib out, and he fashioned an amazing creature, a woman. And Adam woke up, and he goes, whoa, man. I know, I, I love that joke. I mean, imagine waking up from a sleep. You've just named all the animals. It's a tiring process. And all of a sudden, you wake up next to a naked woman. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty good day. And she's your wife. Yeah, that's a pretty good day. But this is so cool. The first thing that Adam did after his sin, after they co-sinned together, was he continued to use the breath of God, the voice of God. And he called his wife Eve. After the sin, he, he named her Eve. Eve means giver of life. 
She had just done the worst deed possible. They they felt shame and guilt. And yet he goes, no, your name is Eve, the life giver, the life spring. How amazing is that, that the redemption started almost immediately after the fall. God was like, I'm not going to let you live in shame and guilt. We have to fix some things. But the breath, my voice has still got to come out of you. And, and, and Adam is creating along with God. He's, that's why names are so important. The markings on our lives are so important. The things we agree to because we're agreeing with either life, his voice, or death, the voice of the enemy. And Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And it's interesting, the first thing they did, it talks about they're in the presence of the Lord offering him offerings, right? And Abel brought this amazing offering. It was the best that he had, and God loved it. And Cain brought a, a, a half-hearted offering, and, and God did, was displeased with his offering. We always have a choice of what to bring to God, to bring him the best, to bring him the first That's why tithing is so important to get that habit in your life because you're bringing your, it's not only the best, but it's the first thing you do. God blesses that. There's something incredible that he releases on your life when you bring the tithe first and then bring the best. You can never outgive him. And Cain, though, he gets so upset because God liked his brother's offering that he, what does he do? He takes a rock and he murders his brother. What a tragic moment for Adam and Eve. Because then Cain was banished to wander the earth the rest of his life. So here they are without children. Beautiful boys and sin. The, the sin that they started continued. But I love this. Later on in the chapter, they had another son. His name was Seth. And Eve, they're, they're naming, they're, they keep on using the voice of God. And Eve said, God granted another child for me in place of Abel, a substitute. Does it remind you of anybody? There's a picture of Jesus already. Like the redemption started almost immediately. It's such a beautiful story, the gospel is. And, and Eve names him Seth because he's, been, he's the, in the place of Abel. It's a, it's a, a name of redemption. And Seth has a, a son called Enosh. And here's a verse I'd never seen before. At the same time, when Seth was being born, or around that time as he was growing up, men began to call on the name of the Lord in worship through prayer and praise and thanksgiving. Redemption is starting up. The gospel is already in process. And Seth has this son, Enosh, and Enosh has a son, Kenan, and Kenan has a son, Mahaliel, and Mahaliel has a son, Jared. Not this Jared, different one. And Jared has a son, Enoch. Five generations. They started to worship the name of the Lord. Five generations later. This is so important. What you do and what you worship. Because it has generational impact. And Enoch, we don't know a lot about him, but it says this, Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God for 300 years. Now, realize that most people were living 900 some years. So he lives about 300 years in habitual 
walking just like Adam and Eve were called to in the garden in the presence of the Lord in such reverence and obedience. It says Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. He only lived about a third of his life on earth that he should have lived. God was so jealous for the presence of Enoch. He loved the time he spent with Enoch so much, he said, you're, you're too good for earth. I've got to take you home right away. It's incredible. All because they started to worship the name of the Lord. Five generations later, Enoch's walking with God. He took him home as a homecoming. Which, by the way, note, at my funeral, please, we're singing that song. All right? Just, just got to say that. It could be a celebration. Not for a while, though. Enoch walked with God. They heard a sound of the Lord walking in the garden. And there's a sound that he's releasing today in the garden of your life, and he wants you to walk with him. Now, here, this is so cool. The word walk there is the Hebrew word halak. Halak. It means to go or to come to walk, to take steps with somebody. The story of this church has always been about taking steps. Acts 2.14, Peter and the apostles stepped forward together, launched the church of Jesus Christ. That's why why you see on our logo, there's two arrows. It's about movement. It's about walking, continuing this thing that that Peter and the apostles and and that, that Adam and Eve started all this way. Halak. We're called to walk with him. So do you, do you know where Halak is first mentioned in the Bible? And my guess was probably right there in Genesis 3 where he asked them to walk the Lord. They heard the sound of the Lord walking Halak in the garden. The Holy Spirit prompted me to look this up yesterday, and I'm so glad I did. Because I would have just assumed that was the first mention. There's something powerful about the first, what we just talked about with tithe. So where there's a biblical principle of the law of first mentioned because that's the foundation for something. That's the second time it's actually mentioned is in in Genesis 3 where the Lord was walking in the garden. The first time is in Genesis 2.14. You cannot make this stuff up. In Genesis 2 verse 10, it talks about a river that flows out of Eden and divides into four streams. And most translations say uh, this river, it flowed here, and this river, it flowed here. It uses flow for pretty much all the the uh, verbs of the river's movement. And I had to triple check this, because I'm like, well, maybe I'm just seeing things wrong. And in verse 10, it's, it's actually talking about the river halaking, the river moving, the mo- river stepping. No, it's a different word. It's not until the third river, the Tigris, in verse 14, that it says, this river halaked. This river, it, it's actually, the better translation would be, this river runs. The other ones are actually flow, I think it's, it's flow and flow for the first two rivers. And then in verse 14, chapter 2, verse 14, I think God just saved this right for us and said, I'm smiling on you, you're walking with me. Here, I'm just going to show you this right here. The river ran, it halocked, it moved. And then the next chapter, it says, hey, there's a sound that of my movement in the garden, will you halak with me? Incredible. And the river is so significant because four rivers, 
the number four is the number of the Holy Spirit. Four corners, four winds, four rivers. Revelation 22, we'll get to it in a couple days here. (laughs) Joke. Out of the throne flows a river. His spirit. He starts creation with the river. Where we're going, still a river. And it's halaking, it's flowing from his throne. And he's asking us to join in with that movement. Thank you, Jesus. See, there's something very sacred about taking steps, about walking in the presence of the Lord in the garden, because steps equal faith, right? They heard the sound of the Lord walking, halaking in the garden. See, you you and I can hope about things all we want. We can wish things all we want, but faith is actually a step. It's stepping into hope. Faith is a stepping, it's a walking, it's a declaring, it's using the voice. There's something connected between the voice and your steps, the breath of God in you and where you walk. See, hope wishes for a different outcome. Faith actually takes a step towards that outcome. Hope is an internal struggle, but faith opens its mouth and declares something new. After her greatest mistake, listening to the wrong voice, after catapulting mankind into sin, faith renames the woman Eve, life giver, life spring. What is coming out of your mouth? Is it words of faith or words of evil? Faith will always take another step in the garden. Faith is what walks towards and with the presence of Yahweh. And faith, how how do we get faith? Faith comes by Hearing. Remember, they heard a sound in the garden. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God, which is in you. His voice. See, what you listen for and what you receive, those are the seeds that you will plant that become the garden that you live in. The garden that you live in, the garden that you plant, has everything to do with your hearing. They heard a sound of the Lord halaking in the garden. Faith produces steps. Faith produces walking. God tells Abraham, what does he tell Abraham? Go. I told you, I'm covering the whole Bible. He says, go to the land that I will show you. He didn't tell him the whole story. He doesn't tell you your whole life plan, does he? Why does he do that? Because he wants you to take one step with him, and then another, and then another and another. He wants intimacy with him more than anything else. You couldn't handle it if God told you everything. (laughs) Thank you, God, for the mystery. Thank you, God, for revealing your lamp is a light to our feet. One step at a time. You reveal one step at a time. We follow his voice, and we stay on the trajectory to the land that he's going to show us. We started this church almost eight years ago now. We had no idea what we're doing. I mean, yeah, we'd, we'd actually helped launch two other churches before. We've been doing this a long time, but we had no idea what we were doing. We just walked like Abraham, steps of obedience. But that's the measure of our success is his presence. As long as we stay in his presence, we have nothing to lose. Obedience. Faith. God comes to wrestle with Jacob. Remember that story? Jesus, I believe it was Jesus actually wrestling with Jacob 
an appearance before the New Testament. And they wrestle all night long. And finally at daybreak, the Lord puts his finger in the hip socket of Jacob. Which gives Jacob a limp for the rest of his life. You think, what kind of God would do that? A God that wants him to remember that every step that he takes is about his presence. Because every time he felt that pain, he remembered the encounter with the Lord. Paul had some sort of similar thorn in his flesh, but I guarantee you we know that it produced uh, uh, going back to the presence of God. That's where some, yes, we pray for healing. God can do the miraculous. We pray for that. But if you have pain this morning, let it not discourage you, but let it push you towards his presence. Because there is a day coming when your body will be fully healed and restored. You will have a new body. Joshua and Caleb, the, remember the, the 12 spies? They were two of the 12. And they brought back a good report. A, a good voice came out of them in their report. But because of the 10 that didn't see what Joshua and Caleb saw, it held back a generation for 40 years. See, the 10, the ten spies saw giants in the land. Joshua and Caleb saw a garden in the land. A garden that the Lord had told them, I've already given that to you. Why are we looking at giants or speaking about giants when that's actually our land? That's a word for somebody. That's a word for me. Joshua 1, which is so significant to this church. The Lord told Joshua, every, I promise you, I've given you every place on which the sole of your foot treads. That's a promise. But in order, to, in order to claim that promise, you actually have to carry it out and walk on the enemy land first, right? I've given you every place on which the sole of your foot treads. I gave you the promise. I gave you the garden. It might look like giants in the world's eyes, but it's actually a garden. It's, it's the land that's yours, but only you can choose to step on it. See, the Lord will not force you. He won't. It's your job to step in faith into the promises of God. Your job. No one else is coming to do, do it for you. There's not a Joshua or Caleb coming to lead you into your promised land. you got to step there yourself. Yeah, we go there as a tribe, as a family, but you have to make your own choice to step into the land. But there's something spiritual that happens when you walk on land. And I'm talking about both physical land and spiritual land because they're connected. Because he's given us land. He's given us more, actually, I believe, I'm declaring this today. He's given us more physical land in downtown Peoria than just this building. He's giving us much more spiritual land, but they're all connected. I've given you every place on which the sole of your foot treads. Watch out, enemy. We're starting to walk some more. We're starting to halak some more. The word sole of your foot is the Hebrew word kaf. And it means the flat of your hand or the sole of your foot. But it comes from a root word that's kafaf. Which, check this out, that means to bend down or bow low. There's something connected with a humble bowing low and you're walking. Something happens when we walk in the presence of God, when our, the sole of our foot, our kafaf, our humble walking with the Lord, it produces a promised land. It produces a garden. 
And that kind of walking is actually worship. It's a stepping forward at the same time as bowing low. Micah 6, 6 says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and kafaf, bow low before God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Shall the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my sins, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then it says this, you know this verse, He has told you, O man, what is good. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk, halak, humbly, bow low. I've given you every place on which when you're walking low with him, that's the place he's given you. Hmm. There's a kind of worship that's produced by walking in his presence. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. And he's calling, he's still calling out today, where are you? Because we're hiding in our shame and our guilt. We're hiding in the empty tomb when we should be outside of it living in resurrection power. And the Lord wants to tell you today, it's, it's time to uh, annihilate shame and guilt in your life. It's time to walk with him again. It's time to halak with him in the garden again. I've given you every place on which you walk humbly with me. Every place your foot treads. That story is still true. And this morning, I believe he's inviting us to walk with him again in a way that we've never walked with him before. See, that Genesis 2.14 will now become so special to me and to this church. What my favorite verse in the entire Bible is Habakkuk 2.14. The time is coming when the intimacy with the glory of the Lord, with the presence of the Lord, will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And it's coming. And there's a sound of him, him walking and inviting us into that intimacy like never before. There's a land that we need to occupy. There's more promised land. You know, when Joshua and Caleb finally stepped into that land 40 years later, Jericho fell. There were 30-some other cities that still had to be captured to complete the promise. And we're not done yet. We're not going to sit in a cave and wait for Jesus to come back. We're going to go outside the tomb and live in resurrection power, declare his voice, and walk with him until we see the whole earth covered by the intimacy of the glory of God. A few years ago when we were doing the renovation in this building, and many of you helped doing the, the demolition, it was, it was fun and nasty all at the same time. If you, if you were here, you remember the dust that was in the building. And at one point, I, I had to run up to Campus Town to grab some supplies. And I walked into a store, and when I walked back, I looked back at, at the store... <laughs> and I saw my footprints. But that's so prophetic. Every place your foot treads, when you bow low and walk humbly with me, every place, that's your promise. That's your land. We've got to claim our land. We're in a battle. We're in a war against darkness. And the great thing is they've already lost, but we still have to claim our land. See, we may have been banished from Eden temporarily, but the garden is still very much here. 
Our Father never wanted to stop walking with us in the garden. Watch this. Jesus, who was the second Adam, he was resurrected where? In a garden. In fact, early that resurrection Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, this is so awesome, she made her way to the tomb. She's the one who found the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and she runs back to get the disciples and and Peter and John have a foot race there to see for themselves and they're confused. The body of Jesus is gone. They thought somebody had stolen it. And the Bible says they didn't understand the scriptures of the prophecies of Jesus rising from the dead. And they looked around, Peter and John, they looked around a little bit, and then they went back home. Just like most Christians do. They went back to their hiding. They went back to hide in their shame and guilt and their confusion. But thank God for Mary. Thank God for Mary. She stayed in the garden. <laughs> How incredible that sin began with Eve listening to the wrong voice in the garden. And redemption happens with Mary Magdalene, another woman in another garden. And Mary Magdalene with a messed up past. There's no wonder, I'm telling you, if you're a woman here and the church has held you back, I'm so sorry because that's not the Jesus I know. He comes to women. He says, you have the voice, same voice inside of you that I put inside of Adam. Release it. Let it out. And Mary is sobbing, she is confused, she is bawling her eyes out, and two angels in dazzling white robes are standing there, and they say to her, they say, check this out, they say, dear woman, they call her woman, why are you crying? She said, they've taken away my Lord, I don't know where they've laid him. And then she turns around to leave, and Jesus is standing in front of her, he, she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener, which he is. <laughs> he's the master gardener. And he says to her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she says, thinking he's the gardener, sir, if you've taken his body somewhere else, please tell me and I will go. And then Jesus does what Adam did to Eve. He calls her by name. He says, Mary. See, he knows your name. He's calling your name. You're not just a woman or a man. He wants to know you intimately. And the moment he called her by name was the moment her eyes were opened. And she reached out to grab him. He said, wait, wait, you can't do that yet. I'm on my way to the Father. <laughs> but she, what did he tell her? He said, go, take some steps. Halak, go and tell those scared little boys. And the interesting thing is he didn't say go until the disciples. Up until then, he'd always called them the disciples. But now something was different. He said, go and tell my brothers. Because he had just recreated Eden. He had just changed everything. The second Adam had been crucified, buried, and resurrected, and he had restored Eden in that moment. And all of a sudden, you weren't just a disciple, you were a brother, because the family of God was restored once again. And I'm here to tell you this morning that he knows your name, he's calling your name, and if you only listen for his sound walking in the garden... I'm telling you, you were born in a garden, you were restored in a garden, and you're going to a garden. The garden is so important. But here's the thing, the garden is also you. You are the garden. What did Jesus say to us? I am the vine and you are the branches. We're connected. 
My father is the master gardener. See, he's your brother. It's a beautiful thing. But you're in the garden. As long as you do what? Abide in him. Have intimacy with him. That's what he wants the most. That's when fruit comes out of your life. When you're not cut off. When you're abiding in what he's saying and he's doing and you're drinking deeply of him. That's when the fruit is coming out of your life. And that's when you can multiply the voice within you. See, dirt is, is so important because really that's all that you and I are, dust to dust, except that we've been fashioned and molded and we have the voice of God, the most powerful force on earth, living inside of us. You've received his breath. But that's why there's something holy about when you step on dirt, humbly, when you walk with him humbly. But here's the thing, the enemy is after the vineyard. The enemy's after the garden. If you remember the story of Ahab and Jezebel, there's one day that, that Jezebel or Ahab comes to a, a guy named Naboth who had a vis- vineyard that, that Ahab wanted. And he said, give me your vineyard. And he refused. He said this, I will not give away my inheritance. I won't do it. The king's asking him for it. It would have been easy to just give him the land. But he said, I won't do it. And so what did Jezebel do? Jezebel had him killed, and she stole the vineyard. The enemy is after your garden. The enemy is after your vineyard. The spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of manipulation, is after your garden. He wants to destroy the vineyard, both spiritual land and physical land. He wants to divide you from the presence of the Lord. He wants to cut you off from the vine from the master gardener. And some of us are giving our inheritance away. We won't allow it. The spirit of Jezebel has to go. It's not allowed to take any more ground, spiritual or physical. We won't let it. We, we are here to cultivate that ground and to watch over it, to keep it, to tend it, to both expand the presence of God and to protect it. That's what our mandate was from the beginning. Last Sunday, I had a vision, which was, I think is actually a prequel of the vision I had shared about a month ago. And in this vision, I was, I was, I was watching my grandpa's farm, and it's kind of a rectangular shape. And I saw a, a rider, I couldn't make out who it was, on a brown horse. And he was cutting right across the land of the farm. And at first I thought, I thought it was the Lord. But I said, something's wrong. The Lord wouldn't do that. The Lord wouldn't divide the land. He's he's cutting across it. And then he went into that wheat field, the same wheat field that I had the vision of myself as a seed being blown across and transplanted. He went into that wheat field and he started messing with the wheat. He started ripping the seed from the stalks and causing havoc, trying to destroy the seed. And I realized that there was the manipulator, the enemy of our souls, the devil. But all of a sudden, a horse circled the property. See, he surrounds you. The Lord surrounds you. And this was a white horse, and it was very clear to me who this was. 
And Jesus, I couldn't see this rider either, but I felt the presence of Jesus, and he comes up to the rider on the brown horse, and all he did was speak one word. I don't know what it was. He spoke one word, and that horse and rider fell into the sea. Literally, it went, they went flying to the Arctic. I don't know if they were tossed off the earth or, or went into the abyss, but the Lord had his way with him. But it was a reminder to me as I was processing that vision that the enemy is after our land, physical and spiritual. The enemy is after the garden. He wants to destroy the garden. Because on that very land, my, my grandpa and my grandma, there's one thing that I'll always remember is they were gardeners. My grandma had a garden that was literally the size of a football field. And I remember harvesting with them. So many memories. My grandma had this raspberry bush that was like from here to the, to the end of the sanctuary. I remember pulling those raspberries off. I remember pulling up carrots. There were a little bit of dirt on them and eating them and green beans, just so fresh. But I, now that I think back of it, see, I remember the harvest, but now that I think about it, I mean, they were out there every day with their hose in her hand, in her dress, cultivating and tending the garden. There's work to do in the garden. It doesn't just happen. The Lord called us to co-labor with him. And he's put you in the garden. There's work to do in your soul. The biggest garden that you have is the one in you. Your heart condition. We talk about it all the time. And there's work to do in that garden to cultivate and tend it. To walk with him in it. Why don't you stand up on your feet? Close your eyes, if you will. He commanded us, be fruitful and multiply. To take his voice and expand it and protect it on the earth. That's our mandate. And I just want you to close your eyes but open your ears. And I want you to listen for the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. In your garden. Because he's here and he's calling to you. You were born in the garden, you were restored in the garden, and you're going to be fully completed in the garden. And you are the garden. He is the vine, you are the branches. Are you abiding fully in him? Are there areas of shame or guilt? that you're trying to cover up with fig leaves and the Lord says, no, let me put my robe of righteousness on you. <laughs> I completed the work in the garden. There's no reason to run and hide. I want to walk with you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to know you. I want to hear from you. I want, I want you to hear my voice and you to hear my, <laughs> us to converse together, to talk together because that's what it's all about, my presence. I want to tell you mysteries and intimate details about your life. Things like, things that are so amazing. You're a king and a priest. If you know him. If you don't know him today, you can turn to him right now. He's the one that purchased your debt. Became the second Adam for you. Who restored you in the garden. All you have to do is simply say in your heart, 
Lord, you're my Lord. You're my king. You're my master. So this morning, I want to end with Revelation 22. It's the garden that we're going to. It's our past, our present, and our future. It's not just some future place. It's, it's here right now. It's happening right now. The throne room is here right now. And the angel showed John a river, a river of water, of life, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And the river was flowing in the middle of the street and on the city and on the side of the river, every side of the river, there was a tree of life with 12 kinds of ripe fruit according to each month of the year. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And every curse will be broken and no longer exist, praise God. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there in the city. And his loving servants, you and I, will serve him and continually see his face. And they will have his name, his marking on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will never need the light of a sun or a lamp because the Lord God will shine on them. And they will reign as kings forever. And the spirit of the God says this. Jesus says this. One word. It's the best word he's ever said. He's still saying it to you right now. He says, come. Come. Join me walking with me in the garden. I'm walking in your garden. Are you going to hide in shame and guilt? Or are you going to walk with me? The only question is, see, here's what the bride does say in Revelation 22. But I want you to ask yourself, are you crying this out? What is your response? Because the bride, that's us, the church, that's you and me. It says in a divine duet, they respond, come, Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let everyone gripped with spiritual thirst say, come. Let everyone who craves the gift of living water drink freely. How are you going to respond to him this morning? Are you going to take a step towards his presence? Something happens when you take a physical step. I'm a big believer in that. I just preached about it. There's a step of bowing low that produces an inheritance of your promise into physical and spiritual land. tired of letting the enemy have the land. The land of your heart, the land of this earth is his. And so, Father, we respond this morning by saying, come. You're calling to us. We can hear the sound of you walking in the garden. We respond, come. The altar is open. If you want to take a step a halak, 
towards him this morning, you're welcome. He won't force you, but he's here. If you want to bow low this morning, if you want to take, I, I feel like there's some ground that needs to be taken back today. Some promises that you've given up on that, that he's like, I never gave up on that promise. If I spoke it, I'm going to do it. I'm just waiting for you to step into it with me. We will not give our inheritance to the spirit of Jezebel. We will not let the manipulator come and divide the family, divide the land. The family is united and strong. That's when the spirit of God pours himself out on the head of Aaron. And that oil flows all the way down. All the way down. I am the vine, you are the branches. You're connected with him. Whatever you're hiding from him, release it. Come back to the garden. Come back to his presence. In his presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Father, you see what you're doing, this cultivation in the garden, the tending of the garden. We choose to dig out roots that are deep, that have been there for years that shouldn't be there, the weeds that are stealing things, weeds of bitterness and lust and envy and jealousy. We, we root those out and we plug ourselves back into the vine, into the master gardener, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We want to be a people that are desperate for your presence because that's when you pour yourself out, when we're desperate for you, God. Oh, that this city would, would be desperate for your presence. Would you shake everything that is, that is shakable, God, and only leave the thing that is unshakable left? We pray for the fire of God, the presence of God, Father. Continue winnowing us and cause us to step, to halak with you, to walk in your presence, and to plant seeds of your voice cause a harvest to come forth. Spirit of God, flow from the four rivers. Let the river run. Let it halak from your throne room. Let it catch us up into your glory. There is a time coming when the intimacy of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like a flood. Like a flood, Father. You said you won't send another physical flood, but you are spending a, sending a spiritual flood. Father, we receive your glory and your weight and your presence. That's the only place we want to be. Cover the land that's already yours. Cover the land of our hearts, our gardens. Water it, Father. We're so thirsty. He's saying you can have as much of me as you want. 
You can sit back in your shame and guilt and hide from me, or you can step into the river. You can step into my presence. I'm not going to force you. It's up to you. But get into the flow, Father. Let us jump into the river. We're walking with you to a land that you will show us, Father. Would you water the garden? Would you multiply your voice on the earth? Use us, Father, as we bow low, as we step forward together as a family of God.